So in this third Sunday of Advent, we are in the third sermon in this series called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. And that's really what Isaiah 40 to 55 is. It's a set of tidings of comfort and joy. It begins with that marvelous declaration of comfort of God coming alongside us to assure us of God's presence. And it ends with an invitation to go out in joy. And in between is a lot of other encouragement and admonition that takes place for us on this journey of faith. So last week we hit that first theme of comfort in the first part of Isaiah 40 and the prophet is called to preach and declare this comfort to a beleaguered people as God, as the God who who comes alongside and who is in his presence can move mountains, but yet also cares for and engages us as a tender shepherd. And then the second week, we looked at creation and the call to remember that this God who comes alongside also made everything and made us, and that he is a God of power and sovereignty. And in addition to being this God of comfort, and so to keep in mind that fact of creation as we consider what it means to relate to this God. Today, the text that we're looking at, which is the ending text of Isaiah 40, it's kind of one of those greatest hit texts. It is one you do see on bookmarks and bumper stickers about waiting for the Lord and mounting up with wings like eagles and all of that sort of thing that is so quotable and so wonderful. And it's the effect of really putting those two things together, the God who is creator and the God who is the tender shepherd, the almost mutually exclusive terms of imminence of God present with us and transcendence, God wholly other and almost untouchable by us. And yet putting those two things together, being with us and wholly other as Hosea does in Hosea 11, for I'm God and not human, I'm the holy one, but in your midst, and I will not come to destroy. And so we look at that today and the way in which that assurance brings confidence for us on this journey of faith. And remember that that word confidence is based on its Latin cognates, con fide, with faith. The life that is encouraged and confident is the life with faith in God that has the resilience and the energy to endure and to keep going on the journey of faith. So let's look at the end of Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 25 through the end of the chapter. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. 
Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, help us this day by the power of your spirit to rest comfortably in between those two truths that seem to not belong together, that you are transcendent, holy, other than us, and therefore a mystery and almost untouchable by us, and yet also imminent, the one who comes alongside, the one who makes your way to your people to let them know that you will not leave or forsake us. So help us to live in the tension of those two things and so find the confidence we need to continue to faithfully follow Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. So there's an article that I posted out on the bulletin board this morning that was in the Seattle Times on Monday. And since this congregation has had a relationship with Mary's Place Shelter in Kenmore, I thought it would be interesting for you to see this article if you haven't already seen it. And it's an article that was in the Seattle Times on Monday announcing basically that on December 1st, the director, the founding director of Mary's Place has stepped back from those duties and and transferred her directorship to a new director of, of Mary's Place, that she's stepping out of that job that she has held for 24 years. She was the sole employee when she started 24 years ago. Her name is Marty Hartman. And the goal of Mary's Place from its outset is that no child sleeps outside. That simple. That simple and that hard. In reading this, it was fun to hear Marty's voice as they interviewed her, kind of giving the history of this. And I know Marty because I didn't know she was director of Mary's Place until some years after this, but we served together on a, a water polo board. Both of our sons were playing water polo for Shorewood, and she and I were both on this board. And because I know her, I know that she is someone who has always seemed absolutely tireless to me and absolutely energetic. I mean, she had four kids. She was starting this ministry to homeless families and she just had the energy to deal with all of the little dumb things that the water polo board was doing as well. <laughs> and uh, by comparison, I suppose, but uh, you know, a bunch of North Seattle affluent boys from affluent families playing water polo on a club team at Shorewood, this woman was also engaging the folks who were living on, on the margins. But the story in the Times is especially interesting because it gives a short synopsis of those 24 years of history. And in 2019, just before the pandemic hit, they were being pretty successful on a nightly basis of saying, we think we've got all the kids off the street. And then the pandemic hit and they've kind of had to start over in some ways like so many organizations have had to start over. 
And it's the interview takes place in light of that, in light of the fact that, as she even says in the article, the situation is worse now than it's ever been. And as she's leaving, she has nevertheless continued to believe that this goal is possible. And there are two quotes in the article that I want to read, especially this morning. The first one is, as after 24 years of leading Mary's Place, Hartman has decided to step down from her post to explore other forms of employment and volunteering. She's stepped down, she has stepped back, she has stepped aside, and a new director has come in. And then there's the final quote from the story where they quote her as saying about their goal of every child being off the street at night, you know, we can get there, right? Hartman said, referring to the goal of no child sleeps outside. And then another quote, I see hope on the horizon. And then the author of the article ends this way. But this time, that task will be someone else's. It's such a great way to think about the journey of faith. Because in the journey of faith, in the pursuit of acting on hope, what is true for any of us as we either tirelessly or with great fatigue pursue that hope, what's true for any of us is that sometimes the next faithful step toward that goal is a step to the side and maybe not forward with those who are going forward. That there's a time of waiting and watching and, and contemplating what is going to happen. And in that waiting and watching and contemplating is the opportunity for the generativity of that essential element to continue the journey, irrespective of what shape it takes, which is confidence. Confidence is what gives us that sense of stepping, but we have now the energy to step forward into whatever new part of that hope we are going to act on. And our text today is kind of a theological reflection on what gives us energy to go on, what it is that builds confidence. It's not a simple formula, but it is a set of admonitions that involves waiting, that invites us into that space of considering how to build confidence for the next step forward. It's kind of the contemplation of things to consider, especially in the face of exhaustion. And you cannot read Isaiah 40 to 55 without reading it in a context that its hearers are exhausted. Even though an exile, a 70-year exile, is coming to an end, it's not good news because they're returning to a place that is rubble. There's not much hope in going back. There's a good thing in that they're leaving this kind of house arrest that they've been under in Babylon, and many people have died in those years, but yet the whole book has a kind of feel of exhaustion to it because there's a shame in it. 
they have, if you will, as the psalmists and other wisdom writers say, they have dug their own pit and they've fallen into it. <laughs> They're there because they made stupid choices, basically. And they know that. And there's a shame in that. There isn't just the victory of Babylon over them. It's the way in which they, in a sense, colluded with making that happen in an attempt to keeping it from happening. You all can read up on this. I don't need to give you a complete history lesson of the exile this morning. But that exile has drained energy. It's decimated hope of anything good happening. It has given them the feeling that God has turned his back and is pretty much letting them stew in their juices and saying, how does that feel? <laughs> you sorry now? But that's not the way the prophet depicts God. God has not turned his back, but the prophet comes with a reminder of something that has not changed even in the midst of the exile. And you read Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, which we've had in our service before, and the invitation is always plug in, plant roots, go and experience what the presence of God is like in this place where none of your familiar accoutrements are there to feel like God is present. And this prophet is the same. He essentially says what has been is what will always be true about God. That is that God is with you. And it's a call to contemplate. And that call to contemplate that truth of God's presence is what builds confidence to consider the next step. And so as we look at this, it's really just simply, the passage that I just read is really just simply a call to remember who God is and who we are because of who God has made us to be. And it calls us once again, just like last week, through a series of rhetorical questions to ponder that truth. To whom then will you compare me? Who is my equal? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? If you move through this text, it's let's regroup and reground ourselves in this reality of who God is and who we are, and let's rest in that. It's as if the prophet is saying, do you know who you're dealing with? Do you know just who you're dealing with? This God is creator. This God made you and everything else. This God is all seeing. And this God has not gone anywhere, but knows you and is with you. And most importantly, this God is powerful. This God does not faint or grow weary. This God is God. And while we've been talking about fatigue, the prophet is essentially saying to his people and to us, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Your fatigue is not the final arbiter on the matter of what gets done in the world. Even youths will faint and grow weary. You are not the creator. You are the creature. 
The one who does not faint or grow weary made you and is still with you. Just take some time to read the passage and how many times faint and grow weary occur in those last few verses and how they're applied to us and how they're applied to God. And in Hebrew, it's really interesting. I have remembered enough of my Hebrew to see that these are synonyms. They are based on the same root, fainting and growing weary. And, you know, in English, you have this sense of fainting as being the thing that it makes you drop. And growing weary is just getting tired. But there is a sense here that of just the whole thing is about a kind of debilitating fatigue. And Hebrew poetry is all about parallelism and using variations of essentially the same word to put forward an idea that give a little bit of a different hue on it. And so it's like, do you think this is about us being exhausted? Yes, by the end of it, you know, faint and grow weary, faint and grow weary, faint and grow weary. It's all about that. And so what the prophet says, I think, in the final analysis is, so step to the side of the trail and wait for the Lord. Let your strength be renewed. Climb to that watchtower that we talked about with Habakkuk in the fall. Climb to the watchtower and watch and wait and see what God might reveal to you. Because sometimes the next faithful step forward in the journey is a step to the side. A little story about this. For 12 years, our family vacationed with two other families at a provincial park up in British Columbia called Porto Cove, right on Howe Sound. If you've ever driven the Sea to Sky Highway to Whistler from Vancouver, you have been past Porto Cove. But one year, I think I was in my 40s when this happened, one of the other dads, Dale Whitney, and I climbed the trail to Deeks Lake, which was close to Porto Cove. And it's a trail up to this beautiful secluded lake that is just gorgeous. Although by the time you get there, I know in retrospect now, you're a little too tired to appreciate it initially. Um, but it's a 3,200 foot incline growth in, uh, in elevation and it's not that many miles. And so at times it feels like you're clawing your way up to get to Deeks Lake. And, and it was a hard hike for me and Dale was in better shape and he was ahead of me. And we brought our dogs along, Alex the Beagle and Sam the Lab Mix was our dog. And uh, the dogs were out in front of me, and I was back behind. And yet one of the things that kept happening throughout this hike was that Sam, my dog, would circle back and get in my view, check to see if I was there, and then go on. I know this happened five or six times. you know. And, and this is one of those cases where those of us who love dogs mention the fact that Dog is God spelled backwards, you know. Um, and if I can't go that far, what I can do is go as far to say that day Sam was definitely God's angel, God's messenger to me, saying, I'm still here. You could probably go a little faster, but I realize I have four legs and you don't. Um, and I've got a lower center of gravity and I'm making this a little easier. And I can just lay down in the creek when I get tired and slip up the water and get cool and go on. And that's what he would do. But the energizing reality of that is there 
And that day, Sam was, at the very least, the one who was bringing an invitation to me to keep going and to, therefore, be a very effective in renewing my strength. Any good relationship involves waiting for the other. My waiting and stepping to the side to catch my breath and renew my strength and Sam's waiting for me as he would double back are the metaphor that I'm talking about here. As he would double back and check in with me. God also waits for us. Isaiah 30 that I read last week where it was decrying the way in which everybody wanted to ride away on horses and, and try and get everything settled and take all matters into our hands and fight for justice or whatever it is, that what's that followed up by is this reminder of the prophet, no, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and strength shall be your reward. Because guess what? The Lord God is God, and yet the Lord waits to be gracious to you. There are times when God waits for us. When God waits for us either to catch up or when God the Good Shepherd shows us that he's waiting for us because he doubles back to find the lost sheep. And when he does, everything lightens up. And so I read again the text that we closed with to close today. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, remind us again of all that you are and all that we are because you have made us. And help us to continue in confidence and to step to the side to find replenishment. But above all, help us to continue. As we go into our worlds this week, help us to look for the signs of your presence and be your people in ways that address the darkness and the injustice and just the disorientation that this world so often feels. And help us in that act of reorientation to begin to shine with your light. For all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.